Welcome to SpotCast, your single point of contact podcast for the service management and support industry, brought to you by HDI, where service management and support professionals belong. Smarter service, better business, HDI. On the web at thinkhdi.com. I'm your host for SpotCast, Roy Atkinson. With us for this episode is Leslie Offlehaven. Leslie has delivered writing courses for support center staff, customer service agents, and social media managers, helping thousands of professionals hone their customer-focused writing skills. She helps support organizations train agents to write well in all service channels, measure the quality of their writing, and revise and maintain their entire library of prepared answers. Leslie is the co-author of Clear, Correct, Concise Email, a writing workbook for customer service agents. Leslie, it is a pleasure to talk to you today. Great to speak with you too, Roy. So you have built your business on helping organizations understand how to improve written communications. What are some of the ways written communications fail? Well, we written communications fail in big ways and small ways. And um, the small ways usually get a lot of attention because just like when you have spinach in your teeth when you spell your customer's name incorrectly or when you send out an email that says dear first name or something like that it's really embarrassing and that's a small kind of a failure i'll call that the blemish kind of uh writing failure with a really obvious error that makes everyone um roll their eyes or titter behind their hand but writing, uh, written communications fail in much bigger ways, and these are actually more damaging to our goals of providing support. They're more damaging to our business reputation. These big failures are ones such as uh, making it unclear in your writing what the person receiving it or reading it should do. Lots of times um, in technical support, we're trying to explain to a customer what they should do, and if you're writing leaves the customer wondering, what should I do here? That's a big failure. We also fail when we use words or concepts that we understand, but the reader just doesn't. And in technical support, where our writing is often the bridge between uh, what experts understand and what non-experts need to know. So if you use words and terms and concepts the reader doesn't understand, that's a big failure. Uh, lots of times we fail to communicate that we actually care. <laughs> we we communicate efficiently or hopefully exactly, but we don't communicate um, empathetically or sincerely. And you know, business doesn't happen without the caring part. So those are the big failures. And um, with all that being said, in my work, I don't take a fail perspective. Really, I take a perspective that however well or poorly we're doing in our written communication right now, there are probably ways we can make our written communication better with a, a reasonable amount of effort and in uh, very soon in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Just to follow on from that a little bit, one of the things I've always been struck by is that when people are writing in a business capacity or even in a personal capacity, a lot of times they get very stilted. They they stop putting language together the way they speak. Um, and I've always felt that you can make written language flow the same way you speak and that if you sound 
in from the written word pretty much like you sound in the spoken word you're going to be understood better would you agree with that and why do you think that people get kind of stilted and stiff when they write well i do agree with that and i think i know some of the reasons why people fail to access their speaking voice when they're writing and part of it is our educational training because all throughout school we're discouraged from using our speaking voice in our uh, written communications, which are essentially with our teachers. And we, we're, we're trained in school, sadly, that, that the way you speak naturally lacks authority and it lacks polish. So what you need to learn is this kind of coded language that teachers like and professors accept. So one reason that we don't write with that confident, natural, and flowing voice we use when we speak is because we've been trained not to. And the other reason is because many people uh, have several varieties of spoken voice. The one they use for their friends and families, the one they use for their pet, <laughs> and the one they use at work. And they, they don't separate them in their mind. You and I do because we're word nerds. We're very writerly, you and I. But many people feel that there's a writing voice and one speaking voice. And they, they put the brakes on. They know that they don't want to sound in uh, their writing the way they sound when they talk to their friends when they're at a ball game or something like that. So your advice is excellent, but it's uh, probably too black and white to help most people. What we would need to coach them on is Use the speaking voice you use at work. That speaking voice is fine mm. for your writing. Mm. I get that. That's that's terrific. Uh, you do a ton of work with customer service departments and customer service organizations, businesses. Is clear and correct writing and communication a form of good customer service? And why do you think that or why not? Yes, indeed, of course it is. Uh, clear and correct writing is a, is a form of being aware of your reader or aware of your customer. That's all, you know. And, and good customer service comes from being aware of what your customer needs. So um, if you write clearly, you communicate clearly, you're showing your customer, I know what you need, I care enough to be sure my communications are correct and they're easy to read. And I, I always um, come back to the effort a writer makes, the increased amount of effort a writer makes to make the communication clear and correct. Is, it, it works exactly in inverse to the amount of effort the reader or customer will have to ex exert to understand it. So if the writer does more, the reader gets to do less. And making things easy for customers is what good customer service is all about. I, I, wow, are we in agreement on that one. I totally agree with that. A lot of times I'm reading an article or a paper, and I, ha I really have to work pretty hard to understand what's being said, either because the words are ambiguous or the structure of the sentences is confusing and I have to go back and reread something three times before it dawns on me what the person is trying to tell me 
And, and I always think, well, let's look at customer service. Let's look at things like customer effort. That's really important these days. We want to make things easy for our customers, and that's exactly the way I view uh, putting the effort in on the writer's side to save that on the reader's side. Perfect explanation. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, it's like a teeter-totter. You know, if one does more, the other can do less. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and I would argue that the, the units of effort that the writer would expend to, um, to make something easy to read pay off in, in multiples because often in customer service we have, you know, hundreds of readers for the communication of an individual writer. Do you have a really pet language peeve, something that you see over and over again that could be easily corrected? Well, I really don't I really I really don't like apostrophe errors, but I also I'm not sure they can be easily corrected, though some can. For example, you know, take the apostrophe off of 1980s when you're trying to write 1980s. Just take the apostrophe off. Um because I'm a writing teacher, I know that some errors are, most errors are not easy to correct. And I feel very fondly and tenderly of people as to, toward people when they're trying to correct their errors. So it, it really does annoy me to see so many apostrophe errors. It's not impossible to correct them, but I also know from my work experience that it's not so easy to correct them. I really hate insincerity in writing. That is possible to correct. Even, even if you have an apostrophe error in your sincere writing, we can correct the insincerity. So I hate the phrasing, we regret any inconvenience this may have caused because it's just passive aggressive blaming nonsense. It's not an apology. So that I really do hate. Um, I hate uh, unnecessarily technical IT writing such as we have deployed a fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just necessary or unnecessary or um, we will identify the root cause and implement a solution. Just no, no. <laughs> just so, we, we know what happened and we'll solve the problem. So that kind of uh, bloviating I really don't like. But again, in my work, it doesn't matter what I like. I'm there to help and I can help and people can become better writers, absolutely. How many apostrophe errors would it take to make an apostrophe catastrophe, is my, my <laughs> question. Depends on whether it's in a contract, a legal contract, <laughs> then maybe just one. So amid all the noise about emerging technologies, and we know what they are, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning and all that, and the future of work, what's our work going to be like going forward? How can the importance of clear language get the attention of business leaders? Because we tend to think that technology is going to fix everything, right? If we just get the right technology, everything's going to be fine. You mentioned all the different channels of communication now. We communicate with each other in so many different ways. And yet there's not the idea that this communication should be clear and correct and simple to understand. How can we get that on the radar, so to speak, of the <laughs> business leaders and let them understand or help them to understand that it really is important? Well, I love this question when you shared it with me because 
it, I started to think about business leaders and their style of communication. And I think the more prominent a business leader is, the more successful and the more attention that person gets, the more likely it is that person will be straight spoken and candid. This is one uh, clear communication is tied to authority. And when you are authoritative, when you're knowledgeable, when you're successful, when people listen to you, usually you are a clear communicator. And it's a chicken and egg situation. Do you become a clearer communicator, a less frightened communicator because you have become successful? Or are you, as in a business leader, or do you become a leader because your communications have been clear all along? I'm not sure, but, but if you think about it, the people at the top of their game and at the top of the org chart often are clear communicators themselves. They are confident, they're authoritative, and they have swagger, you know, and, and that comes out in clarity. So I think that uh, managers who are rungs below a business leader on the org chart, um, managers probably can uh, sell clear communication to a person who uses it at the top of the organization. So I think uh, people who advocate for clear communication, and certainly in the support world, I think uh, managers who are advocating for the budget to hire an IT communicator, you know, which is, I think, a great choice, that they should make the case with research and with what I would call case stories. So we can make the case with research that clear communication is worthwhile simply by demonstrating that some of our very well-written self-service content that we spent time on, that we had reviewed, that we in fact tested with customers, when we can show that our self-service content is offsetting communications to our contact center or our support organization, that's quantitative research that should make the case for clear communication. As in, this particular self-service article is uh, one of the top 10 most frequently used in our self-service library, and we have taken it through several iterations. We have tested it with our readers, our intended customers, and we know that they're willing to use this self-service content because it's easy to read and easy to understand, and thus it is preventing this number of phone calls, this number of chats, et cetera, et cetera. So that's quantitative research that proves that clear communication is worthwhile. But I think we should also gather uh, case stories, namely customer feedback or customer stories about possibly uh, purchasing more services based on our customer's response to our communication as in it's trustworthy, it's easy to understand, and, you know, dare I say, it might even be fun to read. Some of the companies that are leaders in our community write customer service content that's fun to read. And I think if we want to get our, our leaders, the, the C-suite's attention about the importance of clear language, we should tell them those stories too. Our customers like us, they engage with us more because we write well, we communicate well. I think you touched on something there that uh, there's great. I really enjoyed listening to that, but you touched touch very briefly on something 
that is important, which is humor. <laughs> humor is such a human connection, as you and I well know. I think we both have pretty um, acute senses of humor. <laughs> but a lot of take let's take Southwest Airlines. They encourage their people when they're doing the safety briefing to customize it. And a lot of times they're extremely funny. Mm-hmm. And and that reaches out to the people in the plane who have heard the safety briefing. You know, I'm a frequent traveler. You're a frequent traveler. How many times do we hear that same thing about what's going to happen when the, the cone of silence drops down from the ceiling and we get our oxygen in front of it? Um, using being relaxed enough to communicate with a little bit of humor is is really important i think um and and yet we don't see very much of that but when you were talking about the people at the top of the organization being relaxed and clear communicators i immediately thought of richard branson Mm -hmm. i thought of satya nadella Uh, these are people who are massively powerful organization folks and yet they're very easy to understand when they write or communicate and it hasn't always been easy for Richard Branson, for example, is dyslexic. So he had to mm-hmm. overcome that challenge to his communication. But I think you put your finger on a couple of things there that are really important to bear in mind. Yeah, I mean, even if you don't pick someone quite as, if you don't think of someone quite as grand as Richard Branson, so extraordinarily successful and so public, if you work for a company with 100 employees, probably the person at the top is a good communicator. You know, and as I was saying, they either are now and always have been, or they are now because they're, they employ a hundred people and, and with confidence, usually uh, communication becomes clearer. The, the worst communication comes for when people are trying to CYA or when they're trying to uh, adopt a voice or a tone or a style that's that's not and never will be theirs, or when they're afraid. Bad communication comes from fearful people, <laughs> and so so uh, I think pr- many leaders probably don't realize how their own authority has freed them from the constraints of of, of, uh, fronting or, or, or how they've dropped out the jargon. You know, a lot of, a lot of leaders don't use much jargon or they use it kind of ironically because they're speaking with their natural voice out of the confidence they've earned by their success. And if, if they could recognize that and, and understand why it's important for people in other parts of their organization to use that same voice, I think, the clear language would be a lot clearer. And since we work in industries that deal with interactions with people all the time, often very brief interactions, right? A, a short phone call, one uh, uh, email or something like that. What are some no-nos that should be avoided or corrected? I think the idea that we we're we're writing brief communications to people we know and thus we don't need to manage our tone at all i think that's a big mistake 
you know, in in our in-person communications, you come into the office on Monday morning and you say, hi, how was your weekend to the people you see as you're walking to get your coffee? And sometimes you don't care how their weekend was, but you still say, hi, how was your weekend? And, and that level of courtesy belongs in our ever brief and very frequent communications with each other in writing. Now, you don't have to uh, go overboard, but you, but if there's such a thing as underboard, you shouldn't go there either. So thinking that we're too busy to be friendly to each other is wrong. And, and we, we should, whatever form the social or friendliness connection takes, maybe it's just an emoji, maybe it's um, an actual hello and then the person's first name greeting, even in a text, you know. But just the, the idea that it, that being busy means it's okay to scrub out that personal connection from your writing, that's a mistake. So there's some, I'm going to follow on from that, and there's something that I've noticed increasingly and almost universally now that's happened over the last year or two, and that is the the loss of the difference between who and that. <laughs> Have you noticed this in, 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 yes. in yeah, blog posts and news stories and everything else? Yeah. I'm, I am the person that did something, or mm-hmm. he is the person that did something instead of who. Mm-hmm. And I think that that particular thing goes to depersonalization. We, we say these things, we don't realize the impact that they might have. We're talking about other people as if they were objects. It's a very subtle but very interesting change in the language, I think. I think so, too. And and um, I think, actually, that I'm not positive, but I think the AP Style book has, uh, in a recent update, has said, wow, that, that distinction is really relaxed or or not uh, necessary to make anymore. Just like uh, back in the day, we were very tight on the difference between the word because and the word since. And I think the AP style book is saying that those can be used interchangeably. But, but the, the effect of using that when uh, in another time we might have carefully used who I think, I think you're right. I think you're right though. In general, I don't take a, um, hell in a (laughs) handbasket attitude toward the way we write today at all. I think it's fascinating is beautiful how much writing has changed and even to you know some strict grammarians being all shocked about using the singular they that doesn't bother me at all I just think it's so incredibly interesting and I I honor writers now even writers uh, whose writing all is exclusively text because that is real writing It, it makes things happen that writing causes to happen. So I, I just think it's fascinating and quite wonderful how much change we're going through now and that um, there's no useful point to being a contrarian or a snob about how writing used to be. Things change and they're changing very quickly now. And the best thing we can do is help people, especially in the workplace, cope with how quickly they're changing. That is an awesome place for us to pause our conversation because, and I say pause because I know we're going to be continuing conversations for a long time, Leslie. 
<laughs> it's been a, a pleasure to chat with you today, and I thank you very much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Roy, and and really, no one wants to listen to a nine-hour podcast between with the two of us talk about writing, but I wouldn't mind doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to SpotCast. For more about HDI, visit us on the web at thinkhdi.com. I'm your host, Roy Atkinson. Until next time, take care.